You're listening to the Unsigned Chat Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 29 of the Unsigned Chat Podcast. This week, sadly, there's no Jana Jennings. She's away currently promoting her music and getting ready for her virtual tour. But I do have a guest and I'm pleased to welcome to the show again, Jamie Alimarad. Uh, Jamie has previously been on the show, um, I think one of the earlier episodes of the Unsigned Chat podcast. But uh, Jamie, welcome. How are you? How's it going? Very well, thank you. Yourself? I'm doing... There we go. I can hear you. I was just getting my Bluetooth connected for my, my uh, AirPods here. It's been at least 48 hours. I know a lot has changed. <laughs> a lot has changed. <laughs> How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I, I, I think it's all just interesting at the moment because, like, you know, if, when you you phone your family and your friends, and you say to me like, "Have you got any news?" and they're like, "No," because like everybody's <laughs> like nothing, can't they? <laughs> yeah, uh, we, my, my family and I, for um, a little while, have been doing um, Zoom calls with you know people all over. We're all we're all scattered all over the place. And uh, individually, I, I talk with my cousins a decent amount. And, um, when we all get together, it's it's kind of interesting because you have a, a, a nice sized group of people that everybody's talking on top of each other, and we all have something to say, but we have nothing to say because nobody's doing anything. So yeah, it's uh, it's it's a very interesting position. Yeah, it's just funny, isn't it? Like you say, nobody's doing anything. So everyone's in yeah. the same position. Like nobody's got anything really to say. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's crazy. But, uh, no, Zoom's quite good, actually. I quite like Zoom. I've used it a few times. Yeah, it's, it's, it's been good. And uh, especially if you're going to have um, a decent amount of people on at the same time, I, I think that's probably the, the best bet at, at, at this point, or at least it's the best one that, that I've used. Because if you're the host on Zoom, you can change your background picture, can't you? You can do it even if you're not the host. There, there are oh, options there. Yeah, and I, I, I always change it to something really weird and uh, something thematic to whatever we might be talking about. And we change our names all the time. We actually, a few weeks ago, played a murder mystery game on Zoom, which was really fun. It took a few hours to do, but we were just cracking up and there was a really interesting current event type hypothetical situation. It was fun. Yeah, I imagine it would be actually. Yeah, so we've been trying so, to organize more game nights and things like that and try and break up the group a little bit more because sometimes, you know, 9, 10, 11 people, it might be a little much. So we're trying to we're trying new ways now that we've done it for about a month. I am seeing a lot of families um, on social media that are posting about the do um, like family quiz nights via Zoom. Yeah, that I think that's what we were trying to get into. One of my cousins is... Uh, really, actually, um, he loves Countdown, um, which is a, an English show, if I remember correctly. And uh, he, he's trying to introduce that to, to all of us. I haven't played it yet. I know I've seen clips of the show on YouTube in the past, um, but I'm forgetting all the rules. But I'm, I'm down for almost any game, and uh, I'm really looking forward to whenever we're able to organize that. Yeah, I think it's just great how we've got technology now. Because I think if we didn't have technology and we were in lockdown, I think it'd be a completely different situation, wouldn't it? Absolutely. I, I don't 
I, I don't know what we would do. And the the other perspective of that is if you don't know you're missing something, then you don't know that you could have had it. So if we're in a time where there is no tech like this, then obviously we're it's just, oh, okay, that's what we're doing now. But to have all of it, and if somehow whatever Y2K was supposed to be actually happened during the pandemic, I, I think there would just be complete anarchy across the world. Oh, could you imagine? It would be awful. <laughs> It'd be completely different, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah, because that's that's the thing that's uh, keeping most uh, sanity in check is whatever we're streaming or listening to or playing. It's and, and of course, there's the sense of community and and uh, communication uh, across the way. Absolutely. And one of the things I wanted to chat about with you on the podcast was your record label. Just kind of talk a bit more about that. Yeah, glad, it, glad to. Where did the name come from? Because it's called Not All Records, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So the, the name uh, comes from my, my childhood. My favorite cartoon growing up was the Saturday morning cartoon for Sonic the Hedgehog. It was just called Sonic the Hedgehog. I'm a big video game player. Uh, I loved that show. I thought it was something that was a little bit ahead of its time, even as a little kid. The story was dark. And it was interesting and the characters were interesting and kind of reminded me of my group of friends. And the premise of the, the show was very different from the video game, but it had some of the same characters. But basically, uh, the villain, Dr. Robotnik, has taken over the world. He's made it largely an industrial place. Uh, he's enslaved the population by turning them into robots. And there are small patches of organic creatures uh, scattered throughout the globe that are freedom fighters trying to restore order and, and bring peace to the world. For Sonic and his group, they live in what's called Knothole Village within the Great Forest. And uh, the way that that area was drawn was always so beautiful and bright and just, it looked like paradise. And uh, for what they stood for to try and restore order, to try and bring things back to a, a better time from someone that is very powerful. Uh, he's a very smart person and, you know, there's all the darkness stuff, whatever. So it, it's about trying to bring, it's trying to save the world as, as typical and sort of uh, hero shows. So with that concept coming over into the real world in music, I listen to what's mainstream at this point. And I listen to a lot of new artists that are, trying to make their way and it's it's very hard to differentiate one person from another because the soundscape is so similar and it's so processed and it's so electronic and i have no problem with electronic music i have no problem with that but when everything is the same tempo with similar rhythms and the same key and it's not really saying much of anything. And it's just so overly processed and the machinery is doing the work as opposed to the actual artist and the musicians that they're using. Then you start getting into this really stale place. And when I go traveling for touring or I'm on vacation or I'm visiting someone and you then see some of the raw talent that's out there, whether they're doing a proper show in a stage, a venue, or they're out there on the street 
or metro subway platforms and they really play and they really sing and they might be doing something original that you go listen to that melody listen to that lick listen to where they're going they're really making people feel something but where is their opportunity in the industry where are they in this sea of everybody making a record in their basement or just on their phones and putting it out there on the streaming platforms. So with Knothole, my hope and my vision is to find other like-minded artists that are really playing, that are writing their own material, that have a voice, whether it's um, something that they're, they're saying or the way that they sing is just, it just takes you somewhere else. And it's a little bit of that old school mentality. And I want that to be a little safe space like it was in Sonic the Hedgehog for, you know, the freedom fighters against this big machine that is the modern record industry that is very uh, industrialized that is is kind of one of those factories that's just spitting out product after product and if this one works great and if that one doesn't work well then so be it and i feel that because a lot of things just become so monotonous and that's all an audience is exposed to eventually you just kind of get used to it and you accept it but there are some other things out there that to me are truly exceptional and they're not really getting the chance that they deserve so that's where the whole concept of, of Not Whole Records comes from. And all my time with, with Gino Vanelli working on the album and the stories that he shared about A&M Records in the 70s, it just sounded like the most magical place to be as a singer, a songwriter, and a musician. And the culture that Herb Alpert and Jerry Moss created in, in that space just seems like something that is sorely lacking in today's music industry. And if I could even carve out a little space in the world to have something like that and hopefully grow, why not do it? So when the opportunity was there to do something along those lines, I took it and uh, we're on our way. And I, as I've said to you in previous conversations, right now I'm the only person on my label, but I have had people express some interest and there are some other people that I've been talking to somewhat recently about projects that they're working on while in quarantine. And if it's a fit and if it works and if we can all get on the same page, then let's do it. At the moment, the music industry is quite sort of ruthless, isn't it? Where you release a song or you release an album. And if you're not in the top 10 very quickly, you end up getting sort of dropped from the label, move, move on to the next person. It's, it's, it's ruthless because there are so many people in the 21st century that just want to be famous. Everybody wants to be the star. And my opinion is because of shows like American Idol, X Factor, The Voice, uh, all the insert country here has talent sort of thing. Uh, that's just glorified karaoke to me unless you're some outstanding singer like a Tom Jones and you're, you know, you're not writing your own material. Uh, it, it's, it's just glorified karaoke. How can you really judge someone performing songs that are already famous? They are, those songs already have built in memories for the entire audience. 
They already have made that impact. Now it's just someone else singing it and it's on TV. So you're automatically conditioned that it's on TV. It's got to be better than somebody at a local coffee shop. And that's not necessarily true. So the, the thing is because everybody wants to go in that direction and not everybody literally, but so many people want to go in that direction. It's, it's, it's a shortcut and you just become a mouthpiece really for whoever is behind you. And they know because so many people want to be famous. Well, if you won't do it, he'll do it. She'll do it. So we don't need you. We'll just bring in the next one. And there's always been a little bit of that in the record industry since it began, but everybody's attention spans are so much shorter now. And most things on social media last about 15 seconds. So what happens after those 15 seconds? Do you have something else? You don't, that's fine. We'll just bring in the next one. How can you really carve out a life and a career in music if you don't have time to cultivate all your ability? Because yeah, I think it used to be better, didn't it, where you used to go through like artist development and you know learn your craft, and then you'd release something at the end of it. Whereas now it's very much about release something, release something, release something. Absolutely, and it's a it's a a little bit of an interesting, um, almost like a, a paradox in the sense that. In the old days, if you we'll, we'll pick on the easiest example, look at the Beatles. The Beatles would release two LPs a year at times. In the from '62 to '65, they virtually, I believe, had two LPs a year. Plus, they had uh, singles that were not on albums. Songs like "I Feel Fine" are not on any album. "She Loves You" is not on any album. It's just a single. So, on top of all the touring they were in the studio constantly pumping something out. So they were developing as artists, as songwriters at such a rapid pace. And in, as time would go on, they might slow people down a little bit to just be able to uh, hone in a little bit more on that or be a little bit more introspective on it. But uh, there was no stopping a group like that. And then you look at some other the artists from the 70s and, and, and in the late 60s too that were writing their own music, every year there's a release. And it's pretty remarkable how that's the case. And now you, you look at something where someone might go four years without releasing an album and it doesn't seem like it was that long ago, yet they're not really having much of a development time and other people are writing the songs for them it's just this weird contradiction to me that uh sometimes taking all this extra time to quote unquote develop isn't really development but if you're out there constantly doing something that's your development that's your classroom so it's a it's a weird space in my opinion because there are plenty of people that release 30 songs a year but what are, what are those songs? Did they, did they really go through with, a, with a, 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 an objective lens to say, yeah, we can make this a little bit better or we should maybe change this lyric here or uh, maybe we should try and find a different hook or add a key change or all those sorts of things. Um, it's, it's interesting. Do you think the music industry going forward will get... Um less and less like it was 
and become more sort of independent where artists kind of manage their own careers and things like that? I I think so. And I honestly think in many ways, the current pandemic may push it in that direction, not in the way many might initially believe, but there will definitely be some strong currents moving in that direction. And as someone who has seen what a record label will offer a new artist, uh, I don't know why you would want to sign something like that. And it's different. Maybe you build up something on your own and you're presented another contract where you look at the percentages, you look at the splits, you look at how the pie is split up. You say, all right, that's worth it because they're going to be investing X amount into me. But truthfully, they're, they're doing less and less for people, for, for the acts. And I, I think more people will just want to have control of their, their business because the record labels used to be, a, excuse me, a one-stop shop. Everything was in-house and, and they made sure that they invested in you as the product and the risk reward was really on them. And what you could control was making sure every time you were in front of an audience, you did the best show that they've ever seen. Now, they don't really do it in the same way and they want more of the pie that they don't deserve. So if you're making the cake or the pie or whatever you want to say, why would you just give it all away to them? You know, it's, uh, it's, it's a tough spot, I think, for some people because you really have to weigh the factor of it might be your best chance to be having your name in lights and millions upon millions of views and streams and, and, and ticket sales, but what happens if they just chew you up and spit you out? Where do you go from there? Because they still may control you even without being able to release something. You know, uh, I think Prince is a really interesting case study with a lot of that and what happened with him in the 90s with Warner Brothers. Uh, it's, it's, it can get really dark. So uh, I, I think he was the trailblazer to start taking control of your career and everything that he did with the, the new power group and the website that, that he made, that everything was released through there, the things with concert tickets through there. And of course, I know the game has changed with Live Nation and Ticketmaster merging. And how even the, he was the first one to use the practice of with your ticket comes a digital copy of the CD, of the album. And, you know, all those sales then go towards the album sales as well, which helps with the chart. And I know so many big acts that have adapted that model in the 21st century. And, and it works. If you're that big, it, it really, really works. And if you are in control of everything, well, then that's just pure profit for you at that point. So I think more people will want to get on that bandwagon but it takes a lot of work to really comb through all those things that need to be done to do it properly. With the music industry before, you had to be signed to a major label, didn't you, purely for them to give you your advancement. 
for them to open doors and connections. Whereas now you don't need a lot of that. You know, you can get on to sort of TV and radios and music review um, websites and that without having that um, middle person of a, a major label. You're absolutely right. The big thing and what it always comes down to is money. If on your own, you have the money to get the marketing, the promotion, the advertisement so that you're in front of people, eventually they're going to get it. They're either going to buy it, they're going to add it, they're going to hear it, they're going to see it or some combination of all of those things. It's when you don't have those resources to get out in front of people that you're stuck in limbo or worse. So that's where the big labels still have such an advantage because for a huge star, whoever that might be, they will inject millions of dollars into that marketing campaign and you can't go anywhere without seeing or hearing those stars. And because of that, they're gonna wind up on top of the charts. Well, I think it's such an interesting time because artists now are truly independent and can do what they want, when they want, how they want, and have yeah. f- literally full control over it, the whole of their music career. Yeah, it's, it's, it's great. And you kind of have to go think of Uncle Ben from Spider-Man where with great power comes great responsibility because if you do have all of that power, you need to do things the right way. And you have to be a grinder and you have to be really, really dedicated to yourself, your, your craft, and, and really believe that you're going to do it because there are going to be a lot of doors that shut in your face. There's, there's going to be a lot of people saying, no, you can't do that. We don't want you to play here. And all it takes is one person to say yes and just take that yes and then find the next one and find the next one. You, you take advantage of every situation and you do the best of your ability. And if you're authentic and you just put yourself out there in the right way, eventually that, that builds. And it may take some time. It may happen rather quickly. Everybody's on a different path. But if you can really focus on doing what you need to do, Uh, need to do more than want to do because there are a lot of things you don't want to do, but you should probably do that. And that might be going to a networking session. That might be going to a party. That might be going to the studio at 3 a.m. It could be anything because you just never know who that one person is going to be that says, who are you? What was that? That was good. Let's do something. Absolutely. I think it's a case of always saying, Yes to opportunities, isn't it? Because you never know where it's going to lead. Yeah. Be open to it. Just go like you can always say no. It's much easier to say no, but think about it. And it's better to say no in a lot of situations, but be open to people in the sense of, hey, we should try collaborating together. Hey, there's a slot on this bill I think you would be good for. Hey, we, we have an opening to come on this, this talk show, this podcast, this radio show. Just hear it out and, and make sure that it lines up with what you need to do. And if it's what you need to do, then you should do it. And the thing is, no, you tend to get a lot of artists that do sort of live shows um, across social media. Um, you know, like Instagram Live or Facebook right. Live or anything like that. And then they sell 
um, tickets to that live show. So it's a good way for them to start having full control over what they do. Absolutely. And, yeah, I mean that's that's a that's a safe space too. You can you can experiment with that audience because you know in the beginning they're going to be the people that are closest with you. So instead of it being a full-on concert, it can be more of a digital hang and I've been to over the past six years, I've gone to a bunch of my favorite artists doing their stripped down acoustic shows. And I didn't really used to be a fan of acoustic music. I wanted it full plugged in and loud and, you know, let's hear the, the full production. But I have to say in going to some of these shows, it's been such a chill vibe and, and really like you're in the living room with them. And there's more storytelling and there's more of that singer-songwriter approach that you hear the song in its purest way. And I think doing something like that as a, a digital concert, as you said, with selling tickets and being able to start with your closest friends and family, you can build up your confidence that way. You can build up a little bit more rapport with a, a new audience after being with people you're comfortable with. It's a great place to start. And then as you get more successful, you can make that a, a bigger show and a bigger show and a bigger show. Uh, and I, I think it's a, it's a great avenue if you can do it the right way. And it's, it's kind of good to see more artists doing that. Definitely. Sort of putting, themse sort of putting themselves out there and just sort of seeing where it goes. Um, I know one of the things, um, I think we touched up on it when we did the Instagram live, wasn't it? About sort of gigging and how it's going to be sort of post COVID-19. Yeah. It was quite, it's interesting actually having a conversation with you about it because one of the things that you kind of mentioned, which I don't think anyone's kind of even brought up in discussions before was when we were talking about um, how you sort of, when you're setting sort of the stage up and things like that, you've got all these different people around you and everyone's kind of like handling different things. And it's going to be quite interesting sort of what that new look is going to be come post COVID-19. Yeah, it, it really is. And I, I had a conversation with my guitarist yesterday and we were talking about some things that are, were booked uh, in the early part of the summer that now for Los Angeles, you're, you're getting somewhat contradictory ideas of what they're going to do. Um, with how they're reopening things, but we still recommend you stay at home and this, that, and the other thing. And just speaking with him, I, I wanted to get his opinion and how he feels about some of that stuff because we were going to do some live video work and um, we, we had some other offers on the table to be playing in the city that uh, I think a lot of these venues want to open as fast as they can because they're losing a lot of money but the big thing is we need we need to feel safe nobody wants to be out there and play more than the artists we're chomping at the bit to get out there and, and feel the the heat from the lights and the energy from the crowd and just that chemistry that comes with a live band and the audience but that being said we don't want to be in a position where anybody in that room can get infected and it lead to problems. So there are the obvious concerns for an audience, 
but for the musicians, it's usually somewhat of a cramp stage. You have the in-house sound man and maybe a lighting guy, and uh, there might be some crew that is around depending on what type of venue it is. And, you know, you can't help it that someone else is going to handle something and it gets really hot on stage. And if you're moving heavy equipment, you're going to start sweating. And what if somebody might be having something that now, all right, they touch this cable, this mic stand, the pedal board, the cymbal stands, uh, all sorts of things that uh, you never would have thought twice before. But now you run the serious risk of getting really sick. So that's something that's been a concern of mine with, with getting back to it because we, we want to be on stage. But, uh, you know, the, the band can't exactly social distance from the, uh, the, the crew and from each other. And, you know, you're, you're just bound to, to be, to be, uh, touching the same stuff. It's, I mean, with utensils, glasses, uh, dishware, all of that, it's going to go in the 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 dishwasher it's going to be clean that way when was the last time anybody cleaned a cable or a mic stand or anything like that maybe you dust it maybe you wipe it down here and there but i've seen some really funky in-house microphones and uh, stands that are missing legs and they're just so wobbly and all that sort of stuff so uh i think as as anxious as we all are to get back to normal uh, we, we need to make sure that we're smart and we do our part to make sure that, well, something happened in this closed space and it was on stage, but all that, all that motion from the stage is pushing it out into the audience and now a bunch of people are sick. So with this in mind, is, is it making you much more selective then over sort of what gigs you're going to play in the future or what venues you'll play in the future? My, my big thing is with, with respects to that, uh, I'm still going to lay back a little bit. If people want to go out there and do the things that they do, you go and you tell me how it is. And then if I feel good, then I'll join you. But I, I'm in no rush at, at the moment. To, and I, I, as anxious as I am, I'm not going to be uh, so impatient that I wind up tripping over myself. And it now sets everything back that much more. So with respects to the venues, you know they're gonna come up with a plan and how they're gonna do things in a new way. But that being said, uh, I'd rather you try the plan on someone else. I don't really wanna be that guinea pig. And if it goes well, and we, we see that we're, we're in a good space and a good place for everyone, then I'm on board. But uh, I'm not, I'm in no rush in that respect. I think one of the concerning things would be that if it got to the point where venues reopened and then they had like a plastic screen separating the sort of stage from the audience. So that could be interesting. Like look through a screen. That could be interesting. Uh, what I've been reading a lot for some of the landmark and historic venues in Los Angeles. They've been closed now for two months. 
there are a lot of them that are really, really struggling. And these are some of the most iconic venues, if not just in the United States, around the world. And the question then is, if they need to spend that much more money to implement certain safety features, can they afford it? And, you know, as much as the bands want to play and an audience wants to be hearing a band play, I don't think the entire audience is going to return at once. So you start, you start wondering what is it going to take for these places to survive? And if they have to do certain upkeep now that costs more manpower and financial power, but they're bringing in a smaller audience and the, the drink sales are less, if they sell food, those sales are less. What happens with all of that? Um, I know big venues are going to be just fine with any of those things that they eventually need to do. But these more intimate settings, the plastic screen or some sort of uh, netting or well, netting wouldn't work because it's, it's, it's open. But, you know, like a, a solid thing or more of a curtainy thing that is see-through, that could be great. But that's going to need to be clean because spit and sweat is going to be flying everywhere eventually. It's going to get dirty. And uh, like what, what needs to be done as far as making sure the safety issues with it being near the lights or the, any of the, the audio equipment, just stuff like that, that they never had to think about before that, you know, it's going to take a little getting used to how much experimental time do they have before people just say, screw this, I'm not going there anymore. Yeah, I think it's, you're right. I think it's going to be very difficult isn't it for sort of the smaller intimate venues compared to the bigger venues and i think it's going to be it's going to be interesting because i think you may get some bands that probably won't think twice about it and will just get back out there like they did before yep and there'll be other bands that'll be a bit more sort of hesitant and want to sort of see what's happening absolutely and i'm not saying one is right or wrong it's just a matter of what do you want to do and if if it's deemed okay to like, all right, let's let's get back to it, and you want to be first in line, more power to you, because that's freaking awesome, and it's what we need. We need live entertainment. We need that human connection. We need to be feeling something again. I forget exactly what publication released it, but there was a great editorial from Dave Grohl on the day concerts return, and I mean Dave's such a passionate person and musician anyway but everything he said resonated with me as a musician on stage and as a fan in the audience so much and it's it it really makes you miss that and, and just pining for the day that it can go back to that again so if you want to be the act that's in the front lines and get out there and an audience member that says yeah we're going to do this i think that's freaking great and for those like me that want to lay back a little bit more that's your choice and you know just just do things differently and until you feel like you're ready to go i think also with a lot of the venues they're going to struggle aren't they if capacity gets reduced if you've still got to have that social distance because venues are all about sort of social interactions aren't they yes yes so to have kind of like a reduced capacity and everyone being what six feet away from each other it's I think it might kind of lack some sort of atmosphere. It, it, it definitely would. There's another way, I think, with some of these venues that if they wanted to go a little bit more old school 
and go back to how things might have been in an old jazz club and set up tables and chairs, it might be something that an audience for a particular genre of music needs to adapt to, but it could be really cool. And the other thing that kind of concerns me with the fact that there may need to be venues operating at half capacity, 40% capacity, something like that, there's a good chance that after a week or two or whatever amount of time that they did things like that and everything was the way it was before with the exception of how many people are going in, they're still going to be losing a lot of money. So what you may see happening that will affect people's motives of, oh, I don't really know if I want to go anymore, is if the ticket prices go up. What if they need to make up that loss income by tacking on an extra five pounds or five dollars or whatever it might be so that they're not, they may not be making the same, let's say it was 10 bucks a pop for normally getting into a venue when the, the capacity was 200. Now they can only have 100 people in there. So let's charge them 15. So they're still losing some money, but not in the same way they were before. Is that $5 going to make a difference for how many people that were going to go to the show now they're not going to go because they don't want to pay it. And if those people don't go, how many people are then going to say, Oh, I want to go instead because I'm willing to pay that extra five bucks. Or what about when you're inside a beer was at 1.7, seven dollars, seven pounds. Now they, they bring it up to nine. Like, you know, with those little things, because you know how people get when there's a sale and it's a dollar off or whatever it is. And then you go to checkout and people make such a big deal. It's a, it's, it's a dollar. It's really not that much money, but it seems like the end of the world. So that's something that I think is also really crucial to watch with how venues might be changing their policies from a, a financial uh, the charging an audience. Yeah, it'd be interesting. I mean, it'd be interesting also to see whether um, venues kind of look to increase the prices or whether they look to decrease the prices to try and entice more people in yeah i mean it it would be great if they lowered stuff but i mean then they're just losing that much more money and they've already lost so much i don't uh, unless they lay off a ton of staff too i i don't i don't know what they would do because i think there was was kind of some i don't know if it was the same for the u.s but there was a, a report that came out recently and it was talking about how between 25% and 40% of hospitality venues won't reopen again after this. Wow. That's and if that's if that's true then that is a huge loss. That's in a lot. Business and jobs. Yeah. And, and and how long does it take before it starts building back up again? Um, here in 2008, the market crashed, the housing market crashed. Um, Las Vegas is a, a really great example of a city that through the 90s and, and the first half of the 2000s, resort after resort being built and opened and some of them having roller coasters and this attraction, that attraction. And as it was building and building and building, there were so many projects that got off the ground as they started building the structure and then the market crashed here. And for 12 years now, they've just sat there like ruins of a not so ancient civilization. And some of them have resumed, some of them haven't. So now if you're talking about 
if not just in some countries, but a, a worldwide 20% decrease in hospitality venues. All right, when is the point where they can start bringing in a new restaurant, a new venue, a new theater, a new this, a new that? A, like what? What? When does when does it go back? You know, um, because there are some places there's 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 such oversaturation. I think of my hometown. In in a one mile radius, there are five pizza parlors and nine uh, nail salons. To me, that's a bit much. You could you, you know maybe maybe two of each. You know, in a mile in a small town. This isn't Manhattan. This isn't London. So uh, I I wonder if there will be more. Um, a little bit more selectivity after some things close of what could go in there next so that there aren't two Starbucks across the street from each other. I think that'll be interesting to watch. Absolutely. I think some towns kind of do that already, don't they? I know some of them do it over here where they're kind of quite strict on who else moves in. So there's not too much competition. Yeah. It's not kind of like a unilateral thing right across the board, but, there is some sort of small towns where they kind of do that now to make sure that they're not sort of all fighting amongst themselves for the same customers. Definitely. And I think that's a much smarter thing to do. But I, I know over here, everything in America is more, 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 more. So if, you know, if you're going to lose 20% of what's already there and it's going to take a few years maybe to start building up to have something else, I think it would be better for the culture to have variety how about something new over there and people will try it and then it's just on the 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 establishment to make sure that good service good product good atmosphere if you have that you're probably going to be all right yeah completely agree but uh yeah it's um it's certainly going to be an interesting one to look out for and see what happens for sure strange times interesting times yeah, but it's also a time for opportunities as well, though, isn't it? Certainly for artists, because even if they think things are bad now, that they're having to sort of switch a lot of their stuff to be more online. Yeah. And even when we come out the other side of this, there's probably going to be, again, I don't know about America, but certainly here, there's probably going to be a recession and there's probably going to be, you know, cutbacks in various things. So it's good to start building that audience online now whilst you can I agree. to get ready for the next big hit that we're going to probably face. I agree. And something that's been part of my personal mission has been with this extra time that I have, because I don't have to be so glued to things for not whole records or my booking or uh, a lot of press. I, I've spent that extra time to just practice and from all my rudimentary work with my instruments and going back to some of the basics and trying new techniques and, and studying a little bit more music theory, that's led to this wave of creativity that I go, that's really good. I like that thing. And some of it is something that's more complete. Others are little snippets. And then you sleep on it for a while and you go back and you say, that's a keeper. I'm going to shelf that one. Let's see if these two things work together. And slowly but surely, I've seen that I'm already well on my way 
to having the foundation for my next album, whatever that's going to be, if it's going to be uh, a, a traditional one, or if I'm going to go at a different release strategy because of the way the landscape is changing, that's all secondary. What's most important is I'm moving forward in new material and I know I'm a better player. I'm a better singer than I was when all of this started. And I've put in so much of my energy into that. And everybody needs to be doing something now to stay positive because otherwise you just, you just go to such a bad place and it's, it's hard to get out of there. So with all that energy, I've just put it into myself and with a, a big emphasis on my craft and I feel that I'm, I'm building up quite the artillery that when it's time to play live again, the show is going to kick ass. And the songs are doing really well on radio right now. We've had some chart success here in America and a few spots around the world. These are all things that build momentum. And I'm someone that is usually go, 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 go. So since I've been stuck inside, how can I have that go, 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 go? Well, I've just been doing it from instrument to instrument so that when the the gates open, I'm ready to go into the studio. I'm ready to get back into the rehearsal space. And we hit the ground running and it's something that we can immediately grab an audience. And I think for other artists out there, there a lot of them are already doing that. And for those that haven't, just try and spend a little bit of time every day finding something that I should try going back to this or this is something that I always wanted to learn a little bit more about. Uh, let's see what it is. Let's, let's just read a little bit. Let's try this exercise, whatever it might be. Inspiration comes from the most random places. And I think for creative types, it, it, it could lead you to something that you never thought possible. And that's usually how the next great idea comes. Totally. You mentioned there about your um, songs that have had some good successes. Just tell me a bit more about those and how they're, what's happening with those at the moment. Uh, it's, it's, been, it's been a wild ride. Uh, Brighter Days it was, was the song that when we were in the studio, um, we, 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 I wanted something that the album was a, a real old school thing where from start to finish, you could get lost in it. And then individually, if you just wanted a song here, a song there, the songs are very complete. There's no real filler on this album. It's, it's really doing something. But that being said, genre-wise, it, it kind of flows. It's not just a pop album. It's not just a rock album. It's not just jazz or funk. Uh, it, it mixes. There's a lot of fusion in there. But that being said, when it comes to the mainstream, you need certain sounds that are commercially viable. So two tracks, Brighter Days and Not Ready to Say Goodbye, were arranged and recorded with the very specific notion of we want to get this on radio. That's going to be the gateway into the mainstream. And I released Not Ready to Say Goodbye uh, last May, almost a year ago. And uh, it, it started getting some traction. There are a few independent radio stations in New Zealand and in Canada uh, and in the States that the album went to number one, or the song went to number one, I should say. And uh, the music video got some good traction and uh, it, was, it was the vehicle that started to lead things towards the release of the album in September. And then just before the album dropped, 
I released Brighter Days and I did it in conjunction with a partnership with the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention because the song is about overcoming adversity and I wrote it about a friend who attempted suicide and my work with the AFSP we've we've raised a lot of money we've we've cr created a lot of awareness for um mental health issues and um suicidal tendencies and just bringing bringing the conversation to to the forefront a little bit more and brighter days uh won the 2019 usa songwriting competition it won song of the year uh, pop song of the year and gino and i co-wrote that song so we were we won uh songwriters of the year and from there just this unbelievable wave of opportunity has come and since january brighter days has been on various new music weekly charts here in the states and i just got some new genre charts today so for the week of uh today's the 20th so they technically say it's the week of the 22nd um the the, the song was continuing to rise on country digital radio top 40 radio uh adult contemporary and hot ac radio and uh it was it was number 32 uh for for hot ac radio this week um for top 40 it was number three on the up and coming charts and i was i was just ahead of billy joe armstrong from green day which is really cool to see and for country i was top 40 i'm forgetting the exact space the exact number i think i was like i was 30 something i'm not really sure though uh, and then on those various indie charts it's it's creeping up towards the top 10 and that's so awesome to see. And last week for the Hot 100, I was number 55 and I was between Kelly Clarkson and Bon Jovi, which is so awesome and humbling and inspiring to see your name next to these icons. And it makes me feel good that the song is doing something. And I get messages from people around the world almost daily that they just discovered the song or they've been playing it on repeat or it helped them get through a tough situation with a family member or a friend or something that they were personally going through or it turned them on to the resources that they needed to get some help. I mean, all of those things are so rewarding. And what I've always hoped for with my music is that I can make people feel good. I want people to feel something, but I really want them to feel good. We have enough that makes people feel bad. Why not be someone and something that can bring a smile to your face or bring some optimism? So I'm really glad that the music is having that sort of impact. And I know across the various uh, digital platforms, the album has been streamed uh, like right around or just over half a million times, which is fantastic. And uh, the, the music videos have been successful on YouTube and have been picked up on some TV stations where it's in, it's on, it's in various loops and just things like that make me really, really happy to, to see that the work is paying off in that respect. And uh, it's, it's been a wild ride and it's, it's a ride that we, we just keep, we just keep going on. And I've learned to not try and control what I can't control and I, I know a lot of independent artists want to try and control everything. And there's a lot that you should, but there are some things that you just can't. So just lay back on that, lean back and, and enjoy it. And the more you enjoy it, 
the the better off you are in the long run and you, you start to not sweat the small stuff. Yeah, I mean, you've had some really great successes with your music and it's really good to see. Thank you. One of the things I do find, again, a lot of people seem to ask is um, how can they get a song to go viral and things like that? But I always think viral by its own nature is something that's uncontrollable. Yeah. It happens because everybody else is what they're doing with it as opposed to what you're trying to do to make it go viral. Yeah, I mean, there there are a lot smarter people when it comes to manipulating the algorithm than I am. Uh, I don't really know that stuff. I, I haven't studied it. I, I've spoken with people that get how that works and they work with different agencies that that's their job. And if you have the budget to say, all right, here's you know a quarter of a million dollars or whatever it is, and we're just going to put this into a video so that it's everywhere, that can be done. And you can make something go viral. But for something to organically go viral, uh, people have to share it like crazy. And then the people that share it need to have other people that share the share. And then the sharer shares the sharer shares the share. You know, it's, it's, it has to be that blob effect. But in a world where I would have to assume that every second of every day, there's at least dozens of uploads on some platform on the web. How do you stand out to be that one thing if you're not already famous? If you're already famous, well, then, yeah, it's, it's going to happen. But uh, to be starting from scratch, I, I think the, the best thing that you can do is find a way to smartly invest in that product so that it becomes an ad or it gets placed on some sort of playlist somewhere that you know it's going to be heard by a few thousand people and and maybe one of those thousand people is an influencer that they use it for something else in their post or they share it some way. I think that's the easiest way to get something viral, but you can't control it. No, it is just literally by its own definition, isn't it? It just takes its own path and just goes with it. Absolutely. It, it, the The landscape is going to be what you make of it. And my advice to any musician out there is that if you want to do this for real, if you want this to be part of your life, it has to be your everything. And you have to really believe in it. There's not one major artist that I've had the pleasure of meeting and speaking to or that I've read about that they said something along the lines of, eh, I don't know. I, I just did whatever. All of these people poured blood sweat and tears and an incredible amount of passion into their work and eventually it pays off you don't know how it's going to pay off but it does because it's bound to at that point in some way shape or form and it may not be what you expect and it's great to have dreams it's great to have goals just be open to everything and, and, and continue to grind. If you sit back and just expect it to happen, it's never going to happen. But if you put yourself out there and you just continue to work and work and work, the, the world is really your oyster. And you can become someone of either fame, significance, important, uh, cultural impact, whatever adjective you want to use. It can be done in so many different ways now, just find your way. There's no, the only wrong way is if you, you hurt somebody, but any 
anything else is really uh, is, I think, fair game. So where, where can people find you online then, Jamie? You can find me on my website at jamieallymarad.com. Uh, my Instagram is at jamieallymarad. My Twitter is as well. My Facebook is facebook.com slash jamieallymarad. My channel, my YouTube channel is same thing, youtube.com slash jamieallymarad. Uh, all my music is available on every major digital streaming platform, uh, Spotify, Apple Music, Deezer, uh, Pandora, Tidal, Napster, um, just everything you can imagine. All the digital stores, if you're still buying music, which is greatly appreciated if you do. Uh, iTunes, all the rest, Amazon, uh, the, the, the Google Play Store, Bandcamp, all of it's there. You can buy it directly on my website as well. And uh, I, I, I love when people interact on, on social media and uh, I love joining in on the conversation. And please don't be shy. If, uh, if you like what you see and what you hear, please reach out. And I, I, I look forward to speaking with you and, and hopefully you can come to a show someday. Well, Jamie, it's been yeah. a great chatting to you. A pleasure as always, Matt. Thanks so much for having me on. You're very welcome. And uh, we'll uh, chat again soon. You got it. Be well and, and take care. And thanks for everyone tuning in. And I'll see you all soon. Also, a big thanks to everyone who listens to our podcasts each week. Thank you so much for joining us for that. And we uh, hope you'll continue to listen to our podcasts. Hope you can join us next week for another episode of the Unsigned Chat podcast. But until then, have a great week.